Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast show. I'm your host, Ryan Briganti. So today on this lovely Sunday, we've got Dylan Mathis from Chicago area. Is that correct? Yeah. How's it going, Dylan? Good. How are you? Doing well. So Dylan previously shared his uh, biography with us um, on our website, and you can find his blog. And this is going to just be an awesome podcast with Dylan talking about his life and kind of how he got diagnosed with Kleinfelder syndrome. So could you kind of start us off with how you, how you found out about having this and kind of how old you were? So, um, back to when we did it before, I believe it was, um, early high school when I got diagnosed, um, ended up seeing an endocrinologist, uh, named Dr. Benjamin in Illinois. Um, we had done blood tests. I was having issues with going through puberty. It was like a late bloomer start. Um, and then eventually down the road, when we did those blood tests that came out back for Kleinfelter's, uh, I began doing, I think I tried multiple different um, therapies for testosterone to boost uh, my puberty. When it was, we started with uh, patches. But I was allergic to the adhesive. Um, I tried the underarm therapy and it was inconsistent. Um, and eventually ended up just going to the pediatrician and having him do my injections into the hip. Um, and I would do those every other week at about a milligram. Um, eventually, when it was time for college, I switched over to giving myself the injections. Um, and would continue doing that at every other week into the thigh, though, intramuscular. Um, originally, I think I was scheduled to be, like when we were looking at their charts, I was looking at 5'9", and I am just about six foot now. Um, by the time I was a freshman in college, um, I, I was still growing. <laughs> so... Um, how how old so you got you got diagnosed around like 16 17 somewhere around there i think it was like 15 okay and then how what led up uh, like other than not going through was that the main reason was not going through puberty that was the main reason was uh i was definitely a late bloomer with everything from puberty um i was having like the tenderness on, on the chest uh and that was one of the looks at it, you know, not not growing body hair like all the other guys were at that age. Um, definitely caught up with everything now, but it made more sense once there was a diagnosis for it. Um, right away, though, it was making differences um, when the start of therapy happened. So you noticed, you noticed, like, was it something that you that you like went to your parents about and said like you're experiencing these things or did they also notice or was it I think I think it was noticed throughout everyone I mean I was I was a preemie baby um I was always smaller than everyone else when it came to size you know like wrestling my nickname was skinny mini I was definitely like smaller and of the spectrum I think freshman year of high school I weighed 95 pounds so I was definitely um smaller than everyone muscle built was smaller um I mean, it was there, it's just not as shown. Um, I'm definitely more of the skinny type, tall and lanky, which was 
funny to see because when you look up about KS, it's like the exact opposite. You know, before you made this whole organization, it was all based off of older facts. So no one really knew what we were getting into when the diagnosis came. But it wasn't until I found like your YouTube channel that it went into more entailed, you know, entails of detail about what I was experiencing um, compared to what you would read upon. So that was definitely what made me feel better about the situation and made, I believe it gave my parents more hope because when I showed them the channel, it definitely helped both of us see the positives and not just the negatives you would see online. How, how old were you when you found the channel? It was, it was in between high school that I found it, but it was uh, while I was in college that I really started following it. I think that's when I reached out to you originally was when I was at Southern. Um, Let's see. We, so that had to be. We've only been, my first YouTube video came out in 2017. So how old are you now? College. I'm 20, I'm 26. Okay. So about four years ago. So yeah, when you were in, so yeah. when you were in college, what, what made you, college. or what, what, how did you, like, why did you search? I was searching just because uh, I wanted to see more about what was going on with me and what to expect for the future, but also because there's not a lot of like research online that knew. I mean, everything you look at is from the 90s or before, and it's really a lot of negatives. And I was wondering, like, is my life going to actually be normal at the end of the day? You know, like, can I live a normal life? Or is this how it's going to be portrayed? So once you once you kind of got diagnosed in high school and you started testosterone, you noticed like a major. What were some of those major differences that you that you saw? Like puberty development overall, right away made a difference. Uh, muscle mass made a difference. You know, just because it's pushing it where you're supposed to be. Um, confidence for myself made a difference, uh, just because. I mean, there was an actual name to what I was experiencing. I grew up with learning disabilities, you know, that I still have today with, you know, like slower reader, you know, I was, I went through all those classes in high school, I had extra help for tests. Um, and that's really, I think the big thing was just putting a name to what I was experiencing with my learning disabilities, with my growth. Um, body hair, you know, it was just it was everything. So once you once you started T, did you feel just more like normal, like you weren't standing out amongst the crowd, or did you? Yeah, you... I mean, I I think my whole family could tell when I'm needed for a shot. Like you could tell when it's coming close to the end. That's the, I guess, the bad thing about the injections for me is that uh, it's almost like a wave. You know, you get you get the big upcome from it, but as the two weeks you know surpass, I definitely to get moody at the end if I need need that shot. Like a little um, a little but, irritability. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, irritable. Um not aggressive or anything like that. It's just a, I don't know. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Um I was gonna do I think they made Testapel, which was a the pellets. Yeah, the pellets yeah. for every six months, but that doctor wanted me to go completely off of T until I was at near zero. And then, then I would be able to do that. And I wasn't about doing that. Um, I kind of want to keep my levels where they're at. What do you, um, do you, 
So now that you now that you're 26 and and since you, like what was can you kind of explain that crossover of having going to your doctor every two weeks and then going to college and doing your shot was it something that you hid that you did on your own or did people know about it? So some people I had to let my roommate know because I didn't want him like seeing me do like an injection and get worried about it you know seeing like needles or anything like that could be concerning to some people. Um, the funny thing about when I was doing it through high school was that I was still having like my pediatrician do it. You know, so I was like the oldest one going to the pediatrician still just to get these injections because he, you know, was comfortable doing them and I didn't really want like anyone else doing it. Um, when I learned to do it myself, I was under the impression that it was going to be more like uh, like the diabetes insulin injection where you just push a button, but it, you know, ended up being you pull it in the syringe and you do it yourself that way. Um, I would like FaceTime my mom when I was in college just to be on the phone for when I did it. Um, just like as a comfort thing. But uh, over over the years, I got comfortable with it. I know that I have to take it. I can't procrastinate on it. Um, you could probably get like a few days, you know, after. And it won't make a difference. But as long as I stayed consistent to those three days, I was fine. So kind of how, how has it been now that you're 26, well after college, is it something that you learned to accept? And then once you had that acceptance, you no longer like needed to call your mom or, um, Oh yeah. I, my wife does them for me now. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, she's a nurse. So, um, she actually was doing them sometimes before we even dated. So, um, it's a comfort level. I, you know, it's, the needle, you know, hurts for a second, but like as long as you learn to relax, you know, it's just a part of my life now. I'm fine with it. I'd rather do the injections than try something new right now. Um, just because, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah, I kind of have that same philosophy and, and I've been doing, let's see, I've been doing injections for 23 years. And so it's, I've tried the patch like you, I never got to try the deodorant, but tried the patch and I've thought about doing like the testo pill but like you said you have to go to zero or or because they they mm -hmm. need to like know how much to give you and also insurance doesn't cover it for me and so it's like super expensive and then it's just I've tried like my doctors made me go to zero tried to make me go to zero once before so I switched to gel and after like two weeks of no testosterone after being on it my whole life it was like the worst side effects of feeling it that nobody told me about and I was like, nope, this isn't happening. Not, I'm not listening to this. I'm, I'll just stay on injections. Yeah, and the cream, I think it was, you could do like a body cream, but then no one could touch you or that clothes. And that was another reason I said no before college for that because, you know, I wasn't going to be um, limited. In I your, mean, you'd have to be so careful. Yeah. Don't want to be limited in that dating situation where you're like. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, yeah, and it's just like, I mean, especially going to college, that's like the last thing you want to worry about. So how how has it been? Have you been pretty, like, with the testosterone, have you been on point with it? Like, knowing that you need to do it on this certain day every, are you still on every two weeks, or what's your... Yeah, on every two weeks. I did it last Sunday, so I got, um, I got another week to go. Um, to the next one, but yeah, like if I ever if we take it like a day late, like we'll move the schedule to you know that next day possible. Um, we go around my wife's schedule too. If I have to do it, like I'll do it. Um, but if she's able to do it and she's gonna be home that night, like I obviously have her do it. 
Uh, she does the countdown for it and then actually delays the countdown. So she'll go like three, two, one, and not do it on one because she knows that I'm going to, you know, just normal reaction for your body to do that tense. And I don't know about you, but with going into the thigh, I could get Charlie horses if I flinch. So she learned to adapt with my body's reaction to these. So, so does do you lay down when you do it, or are you sitting up? I lay down, and then I have my beds. Uh, sorry, my legs like hanging over the bedside, um, so they're like free hanging. Oh, nice! So you're you're completely relaxed. Completely relaxed, and then she gets past the flinch, and then does the shot. So, so once. So once, yeah, everyone kind of finds out that thing and it's really good that you took the self-acceptance to like learn it yourself and do it for a while so you know you can do it and you don't have that phobia of like not doing it or not wanting to accept that this is something that you have to do the rest of your life. So that's a that's a positive. Um, so once you got, I know that you were in high school and once you got the diagnosis, did things, like once you started to do research, I know that you, you said like not much really, not all the studies are like really old and it's really hard to relate to a lot of that information. But when you look back on your childhood, do things kind of make sense or do you, do you look back on things and be like, yeah, like it all makes sense now? Now with having a diagnosis, it does make a lot more sense. You know, like it puts a name to what you were experiencing. You know, everyone experiences some things differently, but, um, there are traits that are there for everyone. Um, but that's not like, like when you look it up online though, it was, you were seeing the title with saying all these descriptions of what you're going to have if you have chaos. And that's what I realized wasn't true because there's different types, you know, there's uh, different symptoms, different traits. Um, yes. Some people have the same, you know, for a couple of them, but it's not, how everyone is um and that's why i like like what you were doing with it and what you guys are doing with the website because it's showing that chaos isn't just one thing and one thing only you know there's different different types yeah like the, it shows the spectrum of that there's people oh, yeah. that, that are you might the fertility and small testicles might be like the only thing that you have or and and maybe lack of testosterone or maybe not and then there's the other scope of things where you might be you know, needing more services and, and more help with speech and reading, writing, spelling, all that good stuff that I've had. The I was horrible at reading. Still am. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I've, I've figured out workarounds is just listening to books on tape and, and finding workarounds on the computer to have the computer read the text to me so I can process it and understand it to, because life, as you get older, as we both know that it requires more and more from you and, you have to learn to adapt. And so that's kind of like what I've learned. So once, so you, you went to college and where, like, what was that? What was high school like for you around the diagnosis and, and, and learning and and those aspects? And then did you apply to multiple colleges and, and kind of, can you walk us through kind of your school years in that, in that aspect? Yeah. So high school is pretty difficult. Um, and I had friends, I had a small group, I like to say, and you know, I kept that, I, I was a quiet kid, I thought, but, um, you know, like some would say, I was pretty outgoing. Uh, I stuck to some of those friends I'm still friends with to today, which is nice, um, but I definitely was 
like C average in college, uh, sorry, in high school. Um, school was hard. Academics were hard. I liked English and writing, but I was really bad at math and reading. Um, science was okay. Um, when it came time for applying, I was a horrible test taker and still am. So I had like extended time on tests. I had a reader for tests um, in high school. And I was able to get into the Achieve program through Southern Illinois in Carbondale. And that allowed for um, like kids with disabilities or learning disabilities to have that extended time again and um, readers if needed and special tutoring, which was nice. Um, I applied to Southern. I applied to Whitewater in Wisconsin. I think the main thing I just didn't want to do was go to community college. And there's nothing against that. It's just like a, I wanted to get away from home. Um, I wanted like a fresh start and when I found Southern that was like my big break because it was far enough away from home um, where I wouldn't come back on the weekends but it was still in Illinois and still close enough for you know like me to drive and see family if I wanted to. Um, they're huge on nature down there um, as an art major so that was you know like a big inspiration for my work seeing that and it was warmer um, it, it was nice. I, I liked it. Small college, but big enough where, you know, there's still like sports teams and, um, you know, parties and things to do like that. Um, things to do on the weekend though, like through Shawnee National Forest or Lake Kincaid, which had cliff jumping and, uh, fishing. So it, it was a good experience. Um, and I did get in through the Chief program. I was waitlisted for Whitewater, so I ended up just choosing Southern and going through that so did you said you played you did wrestling in high school I did wrestling in high school yeah and what, um, what was that experience like for you being the skinny you know the, the skinny short kid you know, it, was, it was good I mean like people would judge you before you know like you've been wrestled and um I was you know I, I like to think I was pretty good uh and I used that to my advantage you know my nickname was skinny mini as a little skinny tiny Winky kid, and you know, I would get judged before the match, and you would just put it all on the mat. It was kind of a confidence boost because you got to show that no matter how you looked, it didn't really matter. It just was, you know, you win or lose the match before you even step on the mat. So it definitely, definitely helped me with um, growth in myself and confidence within myself because it showed it doesn't matter what you looked at. Or it doesn't matter what you look like. It just is about what you know and what you want to do. That's that's really awesome. I mean, especially going through, you know, I had an IEP. I know all about that. Volleyball for me was, it sounds like wrestling for you. It's it's that ability to take like all the stresses and all the other things that you have to deal with in school and all the homework and this, the troubles with schoolwork and all the challenges that you have and even though you're getting all this extra help, the mat made makes you forget all that stuff. And, and it really, like what you know and your confidence in, and when you win a match, that you get that confidence from it, that you get to live in the moment is what it, it feels like. Oh, yeah. And any anger you had, you just save it for the mat. And uh, that was something I learned to do over time too. Any emotions you have, just save it for the mat. Don't, you know, put it out on your younger brother. Don't put it out on your friends focus on school, uh, do your work, and then you could wrestle, you know? So 
but the big difference between high school and college was, you know, I went from, you know, my parents were happy if I had C's in high school, you know, it was just because, you know, I, I wasn't good at tests. I wasn't good with the learning aspect. But, you know, as long as I had passing grades, I was able to, you know, wrestle and I was able to continue doing what I liked. Um, but when college came and I had that Achieve program, uh, average was B's and A's. Um, the only class that I almost failed was math. I just had to take one from my major and um, then never saw math again for the next four years, four <laughs> and a half years. So what was this Achieve program that you got into and, and how did it, did it help you? Like, did, did you get into college? Like not, I don't want to say easier, but did it help you get into college or what was this program like? So with Southern Illinois' Achieve program, you could, it was like a little backup in case you didn't get into college there with your ACT score and your testing and all that. Um, the Achieve program, if you got accepted into them, would like bypass the university's uh, decision. But I actually got in through Southern normally and I also got accepted to the Achieve program. So either way, I was I was getting in. Um, but the Achieve program is what I needed. Um, that was for the learning disabilities and the extended time. They made sure I was, you know, doing my work, not skipping classes. Uh, you know, they had copies of my schedule. They were there to make sure that I wasn't going to do anything to get myself in trouble or drop out, you know. So it was uh, like having parents there, you know, <laughs> uh, just to make sure you're doing what you need to do to get your degree and stay in school. So what but it was also nice for like a therapy aspect of what's the, having that help. What's the college again? Can you say like the whole college and where it is? Yeah, it's uh, Southern Illinois University. It's in Carbondale, uh, Illinois. Okay. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a really wonderful thing. I mean, it sounds like they just helped you manage like executive functions of helping you make sure you're getting your classes on time. You're doing your homework. You're getting your stuff done. Like exactly like you said, like having your parents there, but then you have your independence where you're, if you, if you know you got your stuff done, you go out and party or go out and have a social life. So that, that's a really, did that come with going to the college or did you have that before you got into the college? I had applied for that to go into the college uh, for that program specifically. So like um, Arizona University has one called the SALT program. And that's really, that's like a well-known one, a really good program. Uh, Arizona is just like too big of a college for me to even look at though. Um, it's a lot of kids. But uh, SIU was like the perfect size when I was looking at it. Um, it definitely was um, a big reason why I was able to gain independence and um, probably finish college, to be honest. So I'm curious about like, you know, your acceptance at high school of you learned that you had Kleinfelter syndrome. You learned that you needed testosterone. You started going through puberty a little later, but you went through it. And knowing that you had like learning disabilities or learning challenges applying like how did how did you like applying for this program at this school did you accept that you just needed more help in certain areas and that and that you were like you got an you went there for an art major so you obviously were excelling in like the creative aspect of life like what were how how was that for you do you remember my mom was the one that you know, like found this program, really fought for it. 
um, she had a fight for me in high school to get into, you know, their, um, I guess you could say like special education uh, for that uh, like homeroom so that I could have like extended time on my test because um, I really needed it and they weren't, you know, buying it originally. So I didn't know until later on in life how much my mom really fought for me for in high school. And um, my parents were definitely a big push for helping me find what I needed in college to succeed because um, they knew I really didn't want to go to like a local college, but they wanted me to go to college. You know, it was, they wanted me to, you know, do what I wanted to do. Like I uh, wanted to just help me succeed. And that's what I think really helped knowing that my parents were by my side, knowing my brother was by my side. I didn't really tell friends about it um, at all until, you know, I had to tell anyone in college, but uh, you know, it's not something you have to tell everyone unless you want to, you know, but it's nice knowing that you can tell people that you trust when you do get to that level. I mean, now I'm comfortable with it. Now, you know, if I'm your friend and you have questions about it, like I don't mind answering them. I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not nervous about it. Um, it's just a part of who I am. Do you feel like that part of who you who you are like really came out when you found that there were other people just like you that you were like when you were searching and you found living with XXY and you saw like all the other guys and the stories in the podcast, like you were able to, I know that the podcasts weren't until last year, I guess, but do, did you feel like you were able to like accept yourself a little bit more? Oh, and 110%. I mean, like it's not like chaos is not like a death sentence and that's what seems like a past history made it be, you know, for people getting diagnosed either before they were, you know, like in the pregnancy stage or before they were, you know, in high school or whatever. But um, knowing that it's not a death sentence and knowing it's really not as negative as, as it's made out to be um, was a huge thing for me. Like, you know, it's part of my life and it's always going to be part of my life, yes, but everyone has something, you know, so. So what were... Uh, what, speaking of those positives, you know, and speaking of, of like, it's not a death sentence, what are your positives? Like, what did you excel in other than just having challenges? I mean, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but it seems like a lot of us are very hands-on. Um, I've always been hands-on. Um, I, I love art. You know, I, I still have plenty of friends. Um, I didn't have too much trouble with that. You know, I, di I didn't force anything upon anyone. It just kind of happens. You'll still find your uh, friend groups, whether you have social issues or not. Um, I, I love sports. I participate in sports. Um, that was a huge thing. If you look it up, you know, it says non-aesthetic, you know, anti-social, like all these traits that don't apply to, I think, most, most of anyone with the diagnosis. I think it's just old uh, traits that were added, you know, when there wasn't a lot of research for, for chaos. Yeah. They were kind of studied on a small population of people and, and some of the studies like everyone knows or that they don't know is like, there's some studies in jail and some other pretty awful studies that, like you said, that a lot of the studies are before the nineties. So it doesn't really give a representation of a full spectrum and, Recently, actually, uh, like this last couple of days, the Google image is gone. So when you Google, it, we finally got that taken down. And 
So when people Google Kleinfelder syndrome, they don't see this image of this guy wearing glasses with his hip, yeah. hands on his hips, with standing in his, yeah, yeah standing, <laughs> standing in his bedroom. So, you know, one of the topics that a lot of people really, a lot of the moms and a lot of people really worry about is the infertility aspect of the, of the diagnosis. So when you were in high school, you know, and, and learning, did you learn about that right away? And, and how kind of, how have you adapted from then till now with the fertility aspect? I did learn about that right away. And that was one of my issues um, with trying to accept or look into, excuse me, sorry. I talked about it with uh, my doctor for a while. And um, he says, you know, like where my levels are, there's a chance I won't need help, you know, but there's always options for if you do need help. Um, If you have to do like HCG or if you have to go through IVF, um, there are success stories out there that, Show that it's possible and through your podcast there's also situations that were possible if you have to go through adoption or whatnot every everyone has options um right now like my wife and i are just going with the flow you know but we do want children so um if i need help i i have the resources from my endocrinologist that i'll follow through with um because obviously, naturally, it can be um, more difficult or come off as impossible in situations compared to others. Um, but knowing that there are chances, as long as I stay with therapy, are definitely um, a confidence boost for that situation. Let you look at positives. Um, so you said. Uh, you said like speaking of you said your wife, you know, and when I first met you, you were just getting engaged, I think. So can we kind of talk a little bit about dating and, and you know, you, you seemed to have um, a pretty good social life through high school and college and having having a couple of friends around you where you, you had people to go out with and go do stuff with. So did you did you date through high school or or when did you kind of start dating? Uh, yeah, I dated through high school. Uh, if you count middle school, you know, you had your little things in middle school. But I mean, like, uh, high school and college, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely dated and, and, you know, did the parting, did the hangouts. But, um, shoot, I think my wife and I started dating my second senior year of college before graduation. And, uh, <laughs> So yeah, uh, we've been March. Oof, I'll get in trouble if Uh-oh. I don't know that date. <laughs> Some, someday, <laughs> March, so. March something will be four years, but we got married on uh, November seventh. So, so it's St. Patty's Day will be four years. Okay. There. <laughs> so yeah. you guys, you guys met, and when you met, did you with the diagnosis? Were you open and upfront about it, or is it like how? How did that go? I knew her when she was 19 and we were dating other people, but um, I was pretty open when we started talking, so she was fine with it. She, I wasn't, like, direct about it, you know. I said, these injections are for something, you know. I just need them done, and she was willing to do them. You know, she says that she knew deep down. She did her own research on it, you know. Like, there's not many things why you need to take uh, those injections. So I think her studying and doing nursing she was able to 
figured it out on her own. She just wanted me to be able to say it to her when I was comfortable. She respected my my withholding until I was ready, and that's always always good to have. So friends too. Well, so. you found you found a winner, you know, that didn't yeah. that didn't <laughs> judge you straight off based of yeah. you know, infertility or not. So I think that's something that a lot of people fear is is opening up and telling someone that they're infertile or, or, you know, getting judged immediately for it. And if you get judged immediately for it, I just tell people that she wasn't for you. Um, you know, but the, oh, fact, yeah. the fact that yours was, that's really incredible. And now you guys are married and, and just enjoying life. So let's see, you're 26, you're living in the Midwest. Um, what do you like to do for fun and, and what kind of keeps you like, what, what, what's kind of your career path been like? So I think last time we talked, I was in the middle of switching careers from when I was doing insurance to um, being a cable tech. And like, uh, boy, like my job now definitely still has, every every job has stresses to it. But like uh, to be able to say you enjoy going to work or enjoy doing what you do is like different than just doing a job that you're just taking the pay and getting through, you know, the day. I would come home from when I was doing insurance and I, you know, they say never bring work home and I would always be bringing work home. I was, was depressing, you know, it was stress. I, I hated going to work. I hated what I did, even if I was doing it well. And my wife now and, you know, like my, my parents, family would always be like, why are you? You're like you're so young like why are you doing something that you don't enjoy that you're gonna do for most of the rest of your life and so you know I ended up applying for that cable tech job and I heard back months later took the interviews and I got it and at first and it still is hard some days you know I'll call my supervisor for help with the situation but you're mostly on your own and um but every house is different you know every place is different um, it's not like coming to a cubicle every day and doing the same phone calls over and over. It's different situations. It's solving a puzzle. I like to look at each house or whatnot. And um, I was petrified of heights before I took this job. I said I was fine with heights, you know, just to get through the interview. And I, I had to learn that over time that heights are fine. I, I go on ladders every day. Um, I work 10-hour shifts four days a week, 10 plus hour shifts, four days a week. And uh, it flies by because you're active. You're always moving. Um, the cold kind of hurts right now, but I'm getting used to it. Uh, as it's my first winter working outside. But um, it definitely goes by a lot faster than I was than when I was working eight hour shifts at a desk. So I, I enjoy it overall. Um, there's a lot of growth to um, the position and a lot of opportunities ahead, and um, I'm I'm just looking forward to that um, and working my way up. But I do enjoy my current job. I like coming home and telling friends and wife stories. So, is it the I'm happy? <laughs> yeah, that that's you know that's incredible. What gave you the confidence to kind of move from one job to the next? I think learning to open up because that wasn't something I was good at, you know, like earlier in my, you know, childhood or livelihood was like opening up, taking chances. Like you, you know, like 
high risk, high reward. So like you have to take chances um, to be able to find something that might be better for yourself. And um, it's worth it. You know, like the worst thing that could happen is they say no. And, and that's like something that you just have to like accept. Anyone has to accept with life is there's a chance they're going to say no, but there's also a chance they might say yes. And it could be a change for the better if you just give it a try. So what's this kind of fear of heights and have you overcome it? Yeah, I've overcome it. Like I had to overcome it for the job, but like, uh, to me, honestly, like it's an adrenaline rush. Um, I, I like it. It's different. Um, there's probably like a stature of how high I would not, you know, like I don't like being on like a skyscraper height, you know, um, even on a rooftop, but I don't like, but, um, you know, a few stories up, you know, for a pole, I'm fine. Oh, no, like, th- uh, no, thanks. Not on a ladder. <laughs> a couple stories. I don't mind up. it. <laughs> I don't mind it. It's, so you, it's cool for me. You've taken like the anxiety that you started to have over it at the beginning and you've turned it into an adrenaline rush. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you, you learn with, anything how to like cope with situations you know everyone has different positives and different negatives and um for for any job they go into but like if you could learn to like use those to your advantage and make the best of it then i don't know it makes your days easier if it's something that you plan to do for the next 30 years or whatever um it definitely will make your life easier you know i don't know where i'll be in five years if i'll still be with this company or looking at other things i know that from what i've learned so far i could use those traits and that confidence to go wherever i want to go yeah you know i want to i want to just touch base on this confidence because it seems that you've kind of had your throughout your life and and reading your biography on um on our blog there's a lot more details about your childhood and a lot a lot more details about your life and you know i think confidence with got men with Klinefelter syndrome and then be pre-testosterone after testosterone. I think testosterone is a a major benefit of that confidence, but then that willingness to like try something new that you don't know if you're going to be good at it or not. And you end up doing it, you end up trying it and you build this confidence that you didn't think you had. And then here you are like getting on ladders, trying something new, doing a new job. How are you with the, the social aspect of, you know, going into new people's homes every day, having to talk to them, you know, do you find yourself like having, enjoying the conversations? And it's obviously based on if people are friendly or not. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm definitely more sociable now. In high school, it was the hardest, you know, thing was, you know, like doing those like elevator talks or whatnot and um, figuring out like what you're going to say to someone or making friends even at college. And I think, the boost in college was, you know, everyone at parties would drink and that was a way to, you know, ease into socialization and um, be able to talk and be able to throw a conversation out. And uh, I used that to my advantage for a while until I realized that um, alcohol was doing more negative for me than positive. I ended up quitting drinking um, two years ago. It was two years on February 10th, so, so about a month So you've been ago, sober? So. Yeah, yeah. How's yeah, that going? 
uh, it changed me for the better for my parents, for my relationships, for my friends. So um, I definitely was using drinking too much for, uh, I guess you could say for anxiety and all that. And, um, you know, because it just make you feel whatever numb. But um, it was hurting. It was hurting people. It was hurting people I loved. Um, and it was hurting myself more importantly. So like learning how to cope with anxiety and cope with depression um, and learning to do it without alcohol has made a big improvement on my life. Um, I really, it brought trust back. So I really appreciate <laughs> you want like being honest and, and sharing that. That's something like super personal and super deep. And so was, if you don't mind me asking a little bit more, like was alcohol a way to become like social within like a social situation where you might have thought that you were like you know you needed that boost of confidence or you know and then did it just kind of like happen over time where you weren't really aware of it and then at some certain point did you become aware of it obviously right yeah I mean like um when I quit drinking and like, you know, like had conversations when I was ready from, you know, like with friends that I went to college with, like, it was like, a, there wasn't a weekend where I wasn't drinking in college, you know, it was like, I was known as like the party kid, you know, with my friends, but it was always leading to blackouts. And that's where like my issues were starting to come out of, you know, and I, I would mess up or, you know, screw up one time and be like, Oh, it won't happen the next, you know, but really I was just embarrassing myself with it and using it as a coping mechanism for whatever was on my mind. Um, but learning to cope without alcohol and learning to cope in positive ways really, um, helps, helps me grow as a person, help me mature. Cause like, uh, you know, like I had the conversation with my parents before they were like, if you were still drinking by the time that you got, you know, like engaged, they would have said that, you know, I wasn't ready, you know, I wasn't mature enough. But when I quit, you know, I, I changed myself for the better. That's when everyone actually saw me change and follow through with changing things. You know, like when I would say, oh, like, I'm going to stop, I'm going to, like, just give me time, give me time. It wasn't going to happen until I quit and learned discipline and all that. It, de it definitely makes the difference for me. Um, you know, there was no, oh, I'm just going to drink beer or whatnot. There was never one drink, and that's what I needed to learn, that maybe alcohol wasn't for me or ever was, you know. It acts as your friend, and it wasn't for me. That's what I had to learn. What was what was kind of your anxiety and, and, and depression? Did you, is that, are those two things that you've suffered or you've, you've experienced and, and kind of battled with your whole life? Oh, yeah. All, all my life I've had that. And, you know, like I went through the different medications for it and, and all that, and some were for me and some weren't. And, um, you know, I still take some for for anxiety. Excuse me. When it comes to, like, uh, certain situations, like I have it as needed for the medication. Um. And I, I take meds for ADHD too, but um, I'm trying to find ways to do without medication um, for some of the situations. Um, quitting drinking helped my depression right off the bat. 
Um, anxiety, it helps with uh, quitting. Um, it's just like uh, learning, learning for yourself what you could do to make yourself better without hiding things. I think drinking for me was a way to hide or like suppress my anxiety, suppress my depression. But if I drank too much, then it came out. So it was like finding that happy medium of, of feeling good, but not letting it kind of take over and, and have all that bad, like all that bad stuff. What, you know, I, I have actually, I have a YouTube video that I was going to publish next week. And when one of our, my film or my um, creative director and board member was over here helping make a, a documentary with my parents. And we made a video about depression and I I was able to articulate and express like how depression affects me. And it's totally different than what a lot of things you read online. Like, do you know how your depression affects you? Yeah. I I mean, I I think one of those big um, points that has always been known for people is that, uh, or is said, said about men is that, you know, like they have to be strong. You can't cry. You can't do anything that shows, you know, quote unquote weakness. And that's why so many people, men or women have issues with, um, with sharing that with people. And, um, it just builds up that emotion that you're holding inside like a volcano until it erupts. And for me in college, I would, you know, like take that stress and put it into drinking and, uh, you know, like going out with friends and doing things like that. But, when you overdo something, that's when everything ends up building up until it explodes. So like whether you go to therapy or talk to a friend or even if you just talk to a stranger or something, someone that could just listen to you and you could let out how you're feeling instead of bottling it in really makes the difference. Um, I think everyone should talk to someone. It doesn't make you weak. Um, it's just good to have and use your voice, you know, no one should hold anything in. So, and then as far as like anxiety goes, how does that, how does that affect you? Yeah, I mean, it affects me still with like a work I overthink, you know, um, even testing in school, I would overthink things. I, I would know the correct answer and I would end up looking at it a different way and writing something else instead, you know, if I'm at a house doing cable, sometimes I overthink, you know, like what the next step is when I really know it, you know, I'll call my supervisor and I'll just talk about the situation and I'll answer my own questions. But just because someone's listening and I'm able to talk out loud, it just kind of helps me understand that I'm doing it correctly and I shouldn't always second guess myself. Wow. That you, that's crazy. I do the same thing, but it's, (laughs) It's not like, and if you talk out loud to yourself, people obviously think you're crazy and, and (laughs) those those aspects. I think, I really think like you just described a lot of things that I experience with depression and anxiety throughout my life is like holding things in and letting them bottle up because either you don't know how to express yourself. Like you, you take in so much information, so much visual like stuff throughout the world that you, you hold it in and then. The, it's like the the teapot you know as you turn it on it gets it gets hotter and hotter and, and all that steam compresses inside and then and then at some point it like it just needs to let it all go and it makes that whistling sound letting you know that like the water's boiling 
Um, I mean, I know it's annoying my bosses too, but they're like, you just answered your own question. I was like, I know, like, I just sometimes just need to talk it out, you know? So even just someone listening, even if you're going to know the answer at the end of the day, just to have someone listen to you so you can say it and understand it yourself, it helps. Like, uh, my big factor for, like, succeeding with test-taking in college ended up being I just needed even if I could read the question myself, hearing someone else say it or having someone else just be there and listen to me read it out loud and allow me to take my time, let me like uh, think it to a point and take my time on it to understand it without having to rush through knowing I only got you know 45 minutes to take this test. So having the necessities um, that I had through schooling that just let me take my time. That's what I needed. And I think that would help anyone in schooling. Just not not rush. Don't rush things. Um, yeah, a lot of these jobs are about, you know, like uh, cramming in different, uh, you know, uh, assignments and everything. But if you just take your time and do it correctly, like that's the best way to learn. That's helped me. I think like one of the hardest parts when you talk about anxiety and like test taking and you go back to those periods or even if you have to take tests for work it's knowing like you might know all the answers but you're so focused on the time how much time you have left and you're calculating for me I'm calculating like how much time I have left and how many questions I have left instead of just focusing on the test and knowing the answers and getting through it within my own time I'm focused on you know I need to finish this test because I know all the answers and then you're you're kind of like getting you're, you're overthinking in your mind and then it, all of a sudden the time does run out and you don't finish it and that's one aspect of that anxiety and I think it's really awesome that you've built up the confidence throughout your life and you're only 26 to realize like have this self-realization I think it's called like metacognition and have that self-realization of being able to like slow your roll when you need to slow it down or, or make a phone call to talk to someone so you can think out your thoughts in, in, in like the multitasking aspect of maybe talking to someone helps you visualize and map out like everything that you need to do for the rest of the day. And then once you do that, it helps you remember everything and then you're back on your job doing like that normal aspect, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I mean like a, a good way to put that into perspective too is like when I was in wrestling you always had to think um two steps ahead of your opponent they said um if they're if you do this move and they counteract it by this way like what are you going to do like what are your options it's like those uh, goosebump books where you could choose the next uh subject of the story you know if if you want to do a turn to page 56 if you want to do b turn to page 72 so there's always those different outputs and um, learning to not overthink it and not rush it helps at least me decide, you know, um, almost to a safe point of how to react. Like, don't don't rush things, you know, just take your time. Each Each thing's different, so just take your time. And just having the confidence in yourself that you know you can get through it, you know you can do it, you just got to... Take the risk, yeah. yeah take that risk. That's, that's the, I think that's one of the hard parts is believing in yourself, knowing that you can do it and not being afraid of failing and, 
or falling or whatever it may take. And you, you learn from that failure. It's just that, that initial step of like doing it, you have to just go and not think. And I mean, that's the reason people don't take risks if they're scared of being told no, or that they're going to fail. But I mean, like you have to realize like, you got to take those chances to be able to succeed anywhere. And like, like we said before, it's okay to, it's okay to fail a test. It's okay to get told no, but the fact that you tried is really what mattered and you shouldn't just stop like giving, you know, like giving anything for being told no. I mean, like, uh, like my life isn't perfect. No, no one's is for all I, I know, but being, able to say I tried my best is really what matters at the end of the day and that I'm happy. So. And holding yourself accountable for trying your best, like not half-assing it, like actually putting your everything that you believing in yourself to that extent of being able to try however hard you try not comparing yourself to like other people. Right. Isn't like, that's a huge one. Yeah. I mean like uh, everyone's going to judge you for something, no matter what, like uh, you can't you can't win anyone everyone over for that matter, but everyone also has something at the end of the day, whether it's known publicly or privately. Um, just don't be afraid of others others judging you. So I I got a couple last questions and then and then I'll let you go. So what you know you talk about how you've kind of told people about your diagnosis that you wanted to tell, like not everyone needs to know, but what, so what made you want to like give back and be on this podcast and share your life story about your, about your life through our blog series? No matter what everyone's, everyone's going to have their own opinion on what you do, but um, what matters at the end of the day is how you feel about it. Um, seeing other people share their stories helped. Um, seeing how big of an advocate my parents were for me, you know, friends were for me, um, to have me succeed in life um, is what counts. Um, it, it's on that on that note of um, having your own confidence, uh, having. Um, knowledge on what you have and um knowledge that there's going to be times that you succeed and there's going to be times that you fall but that at the end of the day um you have that support that you always needed and always wanted it's like a bridge builder um to help the next person that makes sense totally i i that's a every it's a wonderful answer i mean you just wanting to share, wanting to give back. And, and like when you found the diagnosis when you were 16, 17, and then looking all the information and then finding living with XXY when you were in college, like looking again, being like, is this going to be my life? Like, and realizing that there was so much positive to, to having this. And there's all these other guys out there that are just like you living your life that have this. It's that like not feeling alone feeling that gives you the confidence to know that, Hey, like I'm not, this isn't just with me. This, there's so many other guys just like me out there that are succeeding and living their life to the fullest. Why can't I? So it's really, it's awesome just to have that, have more of these guys come out and, and say this like Tyler that just did a podcast with me a couple of days ago, 
came to my house. He lives here in San Diego. And he was like, he found the podcast within, I think, hours of his diagnosis when he found out last year. And he said the podcast of just hearing other people's stories, like instantly just helped him realize that he's not alone in this and that others have experienced the same infertility issues. And, you know, others have gotten diagnosed in high school or in utero and everyone is doing exceptionally well within their within where they are in, in life and, and everyone, you know, everyone throughout life doesn't matter where in life, everyone falls on the spectrum. Like, like you keep saying, like everyone has something, no one's perfect. Oh yeah. I mean, knowledge is power. And like the more knowledge there is, like it allows more people to see that you, you can succeed. I know at the end of the day now, you know, if I compared it to me thinking about chaos, you know, 10 years ago, uh, when, you know, that first diagnosis happened, like, I, I didn't know where I'd be today. I wouldn't think that I would be where I am today. I wouldn't think that I'd be looking at, you know, buying a house now in, in a successful job industry that I'm in, um, thinking that I would even have, you know, the the thought of speaking to you or anyone, of, for that matter, about what's going on. Um, you, you learn to mature, and um, you get that growth it shows that you can and will have normal life. So it's, it's not a death sentence. And um, honestly, uh, I'm happy to be who I am. And I'm happy to take on what I have. Uh, it's, it's not going to be that big of an issue as maybe I thought it was going to be at the beginning. Um, I, I'm going to face challenges. Um, but I'm also going to succeed just as if anyone else would. So I think you answered my last question. I was going to, I was going to ask, I mean, you couldn't have said anything better. I, I love the confidence in yourself and just, you know, believing in yourself that you can do anything that you put your mind to and the things that you have put your mind to, even when in high school, before you got diagnosed with wrestling that you were capable of doing. So I was, I was going to ask like what, and you could still answer this, um, what would you have to tell like mothers that are being diagnosed in utero or, or kids being diagnosed at your age or adult men that are being diagnosed trying to have kids? Like what would you tell, what would you, what would your message be to them? It's any kids going to have their difficulties growing up, but like as long as you give them love and support and show them that they're just a normal boy, like uh We'll be fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I, I'm growing. Um, it's normal to have difficulties and um, negatives and positives, but as long as you're just there for them and support them, they'll grow. Uh, I'm showing my parents that, and having their support from day one really made that difference and gave me this confidence today. Well, man, it's been uh, a wonderful hour having you on the show and just listening to you talk about some of the, you know, vulnerable aspects of your life and the details of your life to, to know that there's so many things within what you said that I can relate to. And I know that there's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of guys and families out there that can also relate to your story. So I really appreciate you just, you know, taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And, um, it's been a wonderful experience. Thanks for having me and I'll catch up with you later. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon.